Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you ever have trouble seeing? You ever have trouble seeing things? I know some of you do. Um, the nearsighted, uh, they, you know, they can't see far away. The farsighted uh, can't see what's up close. And, and even with 20-20 vision, uh, sometimes you can't see. Maybe someone's sitting in front of you, they're blocking your way. Uh, maybe the sun blinds your eyes. Um, but the ability to see is a gift. It's a gift from God, and it's one that we often take for granted. I'm sure that no one woke up this morning wondering if they were going to be able to see. Uh, you don't even think about it. You wake up, you go about your day, not even thinking the, uh, of the precious gift of sight, unless, of course, you don't have it or it's getting diminished in some way, which some of us that are getting a, a little older um, are feeling. Um, I've told you this before, but for a year now, I've had reading glasses. I was going to bring them today, but I don't know where I put them. I don't often use my reading glasses. I am not a good patient. The optometrist said I needed to wear them. Um, so as a result, I sometimes see things blurry. If I look down at my Bible or my notes and I look up at you, you're a bit blurry and vice versa. So uh, it's just that what happens when you don't obey your, the instructions that the doctor gives you. See, if I would only use the glasses that God has mercifully provided for me, to alleviate the consequences of failing eyesight, um, then I would be able to see and therefore actually obey what I read. And so uh, no excuses there, I know. But um, as we're looking today, we're in Matthew chapter 9. And we're, we're looking at, at verses 27 through 31. And it's really about sight. And it, it's a picture of mercy. It's a picture of faith. And it's also a picture of a lack of obedience. The focus is on Jesus and his authority and, and the faith of the two blind men. And in this story, we see what everybody wants, mercy. We see what everybody needs, faith. And we see what everyone struggles with, obedience. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9 and stand with me. We're going to read verses 27 through 31. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how good you are. Thank you, Lord, that you have mercy on us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us faith to believe. And thank you, Lord, that you open blind eyes. We pray, Lord, that as we think on this passage today, that you would teach us. That it would be you opening the eyes of our hearts, that we would see wonderful things in your word. And we will give you the honor. We will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What everyone wants is mercy. And in verse 27, we, we see two blind men asking for just that, mercy. 
The first thing we notice in verse 27 about these two men is that they were blind. They could not see, physically speaking. Blindness was and is a common problem in the Middle East. Some were born blind. Others became blind due to sickness or disease or injury. There were unsanitary conditions. Infectious diseases carried by swarms of flies. Blowing sand, accidents, war, excessive heat, malnutrition. All these played a part in blindness being such a danger. But the two men who were blind tracked Jesus. They were crying out loudly. They were, it says, continually shouting, making a big, a big ruckus. They were yelling with all their might. They were yelling with great intensity. The idea of crying out. They were trying to get Jesus' attention in the midst of a huge crowd. All these people around, they couldn't see Jesus. And they were trying to get through a crowd and get his attention. And so they do what they can do. They yell. Have mercy on us. Son of David. Have mercy on us. Mercy is God's inexhaustible and infinite compassion and loving kindness. It is shown to needy sinners to alleviate the misery brought on by sin. Simply put, in mercy, God withholds from us, He holds back from us what our sins deserve. The punishment and the wrath of God against our sin. Whereas in grace, He gives us what we do not deserve. His forgiveness, His unmerited kindness and love. But God is merciful. So they're asking for mercy. These two blind men have mercy on us. And they come to the merciful one. God is merciful. He shows compassion and loving kindness for his name's sake. Alleviating the misery brought on by sin. He does so at his own discretion. Solely by his sovereign choice. Turn with me to to Romans chapter 9. A few weeks back I referred to this verse. But Romans chapter 9 Beginning at verse 15. He is recording, recounting what, what God says to Moses. What he says to Moses is, I, have, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, so then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Verse 18 says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills. So they come to Jesus and they ask for mercy. They come with the right attitude towards him. They admitted their need for forgiving mercy. You need to, for, to admit your need to God for forgiving mercy. You need to be like these two blind men who admitted their need, were humble enough to admit their need, aware that they needed forgiving mercy. It's like Daniel when he prayed in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 18. And he prayed on behalf of himself and his fellow Israelites. We are not presenting our prayers before you on account of any merits of our own, Lord. But on account of your great mercy. Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3. And I I still remember the day that I first read these words. And saw that the words of the great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, were embedded there. But Lamentations 3 and verse 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's unending. His mercies are new every morning. 
They never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. The writer of the Hebrews said that Jesus was made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and, and uh, gracious high priest. Faithful, excuse me, high priest. Paul reminds us of the surpassing riches of God's mercy and grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Titus 3, we read that God saves us not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, where He holds back the wrath and the anger and the punishment that is due our sin. Mercy and grace, you see in the Scriptures, work hand in hand. Mercy holding back what our sins deserve. Grace giving what we don't deserve. The father of the prodigal son showed mercy and grace. He didn't give his son what he deserved, but he gave him what he did not deserve. The son was impulsive. He was greedy. He didn't want to wait till his father had died to receive his inheritance, so he demanded it. He wanted cash. The father unbelievably complied with the request, liquidated his assets, gave him cash, and sent him on his way. The son squandered the money and soon was left as a beggar. So he decided to go home and earn back what he had lost. But meanwhile, the father, all the while, was thinking of his son and before his own son thought of him. And you know the story that while he was still a long way off coming home, the father sees the son and runs. Middle Eastern patriarchs didn't run didn't gather up their robes and run like servants, but the, the, the father ran like a servant to meet his son. He embraced him in mercy, withholding the punishment he deserved, and in grace he showered him with gifts. Most of us would have seen a son like that as a curse, not a blessing from God. In the play Les Miserables, The convict Jean Valjean was arrested for stealing silver from a priest. The police catch him and bring him back to the priest, who says, I'm so glad you brought him back. The silver was a gift. He forgot the candlesticks. I gave it to him as a gift. He spoke to Jean Valjean and he said, You forgot to take the candlesticks. Take them and go. He says to the police, he's a free man. Let him go. Mercy absorbed the cost. Let him go free. Two blind men needed God to alleviate their misery. They they were begging him to have mercy on them. And they were asking specifically in faith. You you see these two men asking God for mercy, and in doing so, we see that they had what everyone needs, faith in Christ. Look with me at the second part of verse 27. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. They call him son of David. Without a doubt, they were confessing Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, go with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, which we... We studied and read so long ago. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the one who would rule forever. Son of David was one of the most common titles for the promised deliverer. A royal title. Pointing to his descending from the the royal family of the great King David. 
the subsequent right to sit upon and set up his kingdom, his rule over the coming kingdom of God. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the way to the cross, the the crowds yelled out, Hosanna to the Son of David, to the coming deliverer, to the Savior, to the King. To call Jesus Son of David was to call him the promised deliverer, something every unbelieving Jewish leader knew well. They, They rebuked people for calling Jesus Son of David. Every Jew who heard the two men would have known what they were saying. They would have taken it to be a clear confession of faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. These two blind men couldn't see. They were boldly and publicly declaring their faith in Christ as Savior. They came to God with the right belief. They believed in the same way you need to acknowledge Jesus as King. To acknowledge him as king of the universe, the sovereign king of the universe by faith. Acknowledge that. See, faith is one of those things that we sometimes don't know how to get a handle on and we don't understand what it is. And we talked about this briefly last week, the idea of faith being rooted in its object, God. The idea is this, that faith, true faith is reliance on God. Reliance on God. It's trust that he, trusting that he can and will do what he says he will do. And therefore, trusting there and relying there, it's placing everything in his hands. It's putting all the eggs in his basket, giving all credence to him and saying, it's in his hands. My life, my prayers, my hopes, my cries for mercy, all in his hands. These two men were physically blind You can't escape this fact. But they saw better than others did who Jesus was. In the time of Jesus, there was this huge messianic expectation. The people believed that when the Messiah came, he would open the eyes of the blind, that he would unstop the ears of the deaf. Isaiah 35 and verses 5 and 6 say that, that he would open the eyes of the blind, he'd unstop the ears of the deaf, that the lame would leap like a deer. You've seen a deer leap, you know what a a sight that is. The lame would leap like a deer. Those who couldn't walk would be able to to jump. The tongue of the mute, those who could not speak, would shout for joy. This is what would happen when the Messiah came. And so the two blind men were reasoning and thinking, hmm, if Jesus is the Messiah, then he would have mercy on us. And we would have our sight. We would be able to see. See, their need drove them to faith. Their need drove them to Jesus. And they were focused on the right person. The most merciful person who ever lived. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. They staked their lives upon him, being who he said he is. It was a rock-solid, a truth-grounded, promised, anchored trust in Christ to save them. And we see by Jesus' focus on their faith that something beyond physical healing was going on here. There was physical healing going on, but there was also some spiritual salvation happening from sin. They walked by faith, not by sight. They saw what others could not see, that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. And so they relied upon him. See, when we realize how dependent on God we are, for salvation and for everything else, 
his death for our sin, his life for our righteousness, we understand why the Bible insists that salvation comes only through faith in Christ. There is no other place we can put our reliance, complete reliance on him. Interesting to note that Jesus did not heal them right away. They keep crying out, have mercy on us, son of David, and, and Jesus goes into the house. And these two blind men follow him into the house. They find their way to Jesus. I don't know how they got in the house, if they felt their way along the walls, or if they were led by, by some others, but they got into the house, basically face-to-face with Jesus. No longer are they out in the crowd, yelling and screaming, trying to get his attention. They had faith to follow him into the house. And Jesus waited until they were indoors. And he lets them get all the way to him, and he asks them a question. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And this was what the mercy was asking for. There was no doubt what they were asking for when they asked for mercy. They wanted their eyes to be, to be open. They wanted to see. He was asking them, do you trust that I can heal you and make you see? Are you relying on me to do this? The answer, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, we believe that you are able to do what we have asked you for. And Lord, we believe that you are the divine Messiah, the coming Savior promised long ago by God through the prophets. True faith is dependent on God. True faith relies on God. True faith relies on Jesus, the author, the giver, and the perfecter of faith, the the finisher of faith, the sustainer of faith. God gives faith as a gift. And God rewards those who believe. Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him by faith. Verse 29, we read, that then Jesus touched their eyes. There was a touch from Jesus and, and he touches their eyes and says, Be it done to you according to your faith. D.A. Carson observes that Jesus' authoritative word, according to your faith, does not necessarily mean in proportion to your faith. Now, people will teach this. That is, if, if they had a little faith, they got a little healed. And if they had a lot of faith, they got a lot healed. You know, you know if they got a little faith, maybe they could still see, but it was blurry. But if they had a lot of faith, they could perfectly see. But D.A. Carson says, no, it can't be that. It can't be, well, so much faith, then so much sight. The idea is this, that Jesus was saying, according to your faith, you are healed, is since you believe in me, your request is granted. Since you believe, your request is granted. The same thing he said uh, to the woman, your faith has healed you. In verse 30, we read that their eyes were open. I don't know. I've, I don't know how many times I've read things like this in the Bible and ran on to the next verse. Or what's for lunch? You know, you just don't even think about it. Okay, here's what happened. The men walked into the house blind. They left the house seeing. Now, we can't grasp that. We can't grasp the magnitude of that. It, it just, we don't feel the weight. Their eyes were opened. It shows us that God is powerful. He can take someone who's blind and make them seen, both physically and spiritually. 
that God is powerful and he's also merciful. He alleviates the, the, the misery that, that sin brings on. God restores physical and spiritual sight. Only he is able to do that. And what we see next is often, I know I do it, I, I shrug it off. I'm like, I read the next, the next verse and I'm like, well, he didn't really mean that. Look at the, the second part of verse 30. Their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them. Now, if you've got kids, you know what a stern warning is. Okay? A stern warning is not negotiable. A stern warning is, you need to do this, or, or don't do this. You know what I'm talking about. I can, see you, I can see it in your eyes, parents. You know what I'm talking about. A stern warning is not a suggestion. Jesus sternly warns them, don't tell anyone about this. Now, that was going to be pretty tough, first of all. They were blind, and now they see. I don't know how you get away from, with, from that one, okay? I think what Jesus was saying is, don't go tell everyone. There will be the people who figure it out. But what these guys did, listen to what they did. What does it say? See that no one knows about this. Verse 31, but they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. They didn't just go greet their family. They didn't just go to their town. They went from town to town, from village to village, and told everyone about Jesus. And that's not a bad thing to do. But Jesus told them not to. So they did a good thing, but they disobeyed. Jesus wants obedience. He wasn't making a suggestion. We think, what, what do you think, he was winking at them when he said it? Jesus sternly warns them, don't tell anyone about this. Now, most likely that was revealing his desire to uh, avoid undue or untimely attention that might impede his true mission. He was on his way to the cross. Yes? Now, the seeing disobey. They went out and spread his fame. They proclaimed their belief that Jesus was the Messiah, a great thing to do, by the way but something that Jesus asked them not to do right then. There would be a day when that story ought to be told. By the way, we have no such warning today. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tells these two men, don't tell anyone about me, and they go and tell everyone. Then Jesus tells us, go tell everyone about me, and we don't. Isn't it interesting? We have no such warning today. There's open season. This is, this is just the opposite for us. It's open season on pre preaching the gospel. Go and tell everyone what great things God has done for you. Preach the gospel to all. Paul says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. But timing is everything. Timing is everything. They run and tell others about Jesus when Jesus told them not to. They, they disobeyed. Now, why would the scene not obey? Think with me about what we believe. We believe that at the moment that you come to faith in Christ, that you trust Jesus, you place your trust in him and his finished work on the cross, that we by faith also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when you become a believer in Jesus, you have all of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't teach a second blessing where you get the Holy Spirit sometime later. Now, the Bible teaches that you should be continually filled with the Spirit. But you're baptized by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. You have all of God. So we believe that. 
But this story reminds us of a foundational truth. That when we have experienced God's grace in Christ and we've received the Holy Spirit, obedience is not an option. But also, to obey is not automatic when we come to faith. The Christian life is not to be lived by remembering an event or experience we had. It is to be lived in the daily grind of discipleship, which is, which is following Jesus lovingly and dependently and obediently as he, as he works in and through us. It is lived in a soberly in a, in a simple obedience to Jesus. That, that's, that's discipleship. It's following Jesus. The right course, then, the right action is to apply what Jesus says, to quite simply do what he tells you to do. James chapter 1. You may know this well, but it's really easy for those of us at at Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches to hear the word and walk away and not do it, and not live it. James chapter 1 and verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The right course is to apply what Jesus says in our lives. So that our experiences that we give a lot of credence to, and our thinking that we give a lot of credence to, and our, and our feelings that we give a lot of credence to, even some that we think come from the Holy Spirit, should never lead us to contradict Jesus' clear commands. If they do, you didn't hear from the Holy Spirit. If, if, God, if you think God told you to do something that is clearly forbidden in Scripture, God didn't tell you to do that. The Bible is our anchor in that regard. The Bible is our, is our compass See, the way to make it in life, in the Christian life, is to trust God's mercy by faith and live in obedience. To walk in obedience to Him. One thing I consistently try to get across, and I know you've heard it from me so many times, is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And I, I'm one of those that believe that nothing means nothing. And so, we can't do anything apart from Jesus, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So that everything we do should flow from the life of Christ in us, Him working in and through us, so that we would worship God and build up believers and reach others for Christ out of the outflow of Christ's life in us. That as we are saved by grace, we live by grace and serve by grace. Making moment-by-moment choices to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. God does not want us to be deceived. Thinking that we somehow are in control. Thinking that we somehow are calling the shots. Thinking that we somehow have the corner on something that only God does. We are to be in all things under Him, under the Word, under God. Seeking to do above all what He wants rather than what we want. And that will lead, by the way, to deeper worship of God. That will lead, by the way, to more connectedness in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And that will lead to more outreach among the unsaved. But to live like this, we need to walk with Jesus. We need to allow ourselves to be corrected by the word, shaped by the word, formed by the word into who God wants us to be as we live under him. 
if you think about these two blind guys, it'd be easy to say, well, what did Jesus expect? I mean, come on. Uh, how do you hide a miracle like that? Come on, you really expect them to obey this? Anyone who knew them would know. But he expected them to obey. Sometimes we think that if only a person will get saved, that everything's going to be perfect in their life. Well, it's the first step, but it's not a guarantee that they're going to have obedience right away. We learn, those two blind guys should have stayed with Jesus and learned obedience. And you don't learn obedience easy. Obedience doesn't just fall into your lap. You learn obedience through trial and error. You learn obedience through tough, real, gritty, messy life. That's how obedience is learned. Proof is the two men who didn't listen to Jesus. And, and I'll tell you, we get expert at, at justifying disobedience to Jesus' commands. Well, he would want us to do this. Um, he wasn't really serious. Uh, he didn't really mean that. When Jesus' word and our thoughts collide, he is going to win. He is sovereign. He is going to win. This is like the father who tells his wayward or rebellious son, uh, you can take the hard way or the easy way, but I'm going to win either way. I'm your father. Um, so why not make it easy on yourself and, and do the right thing? The story of Jesus healing the blind men reminds us Yet we need to be born again, and then we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to rely on the Spirit of God so that we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But only God restores sight. Only God does that kind of healing, spiritually and physically. See, God sees what we don't. God sees what's going on behind the scenes. He knows what He's doing. He knows His purpose. But I want to tell you a story about a father and a son. Now, this father has three sons. I'm going to tell you just about one of them. It's a friend of mine. His name is Bob. I'm going to give you his name. His name is Bob Hendershot. He's got a son named Trevor. I've known Trevor since he was little. He's 20 years old now. And Trevor is graduating high school this Tuesday at Northwood High in Irvine. Trevor has Down syndrome. And I had the privilege uh, a little over a month ago to go uh, speak at the men's retreat for Voyager's Bible Church, my former church. And... And every Saturday night at the men's retreat, there's a testimony time, and, and men share some pretty deep things. Well, Bob gets up there with his son Trevor. They both get up on, up on stage, and, and, and Bob starts telling a story. He, he says, you know, when, when Trevor was born 20 years ago, I blamed God. I said to God, what did I do to deserve this? I said, I don't deserve a son like this. He told how Voyagers came around them and has been so supportive over the last 20 years. And back when I showed up at Voyagers in 1992, they had, the, the Hendershots had a ministry to Down syndrome families. But he talked about how he really struggled with God because he said, how could you do this to me? What did I do wrong to get a son like this? I don't deserve this. And then he started telling stories about how God had blessed him through Trevor's life, through the years. In fact, he told this one story about how Trevor had recently been, the home, been named the homecoming king at Northwood High. And how, his, uh, as his parents, Melissa and Bob, had forgotten to write out the, the paperwork. And so Trevor said, came home and said, I, I'm the homecoming king. And they're like, no, you're not, Trevor. We didn't fill out the paperwork. But unbeknownst to the parents, that the, the student body voted him in. And it was an amazing story. And he told a bunch of other stories. And and, and then, and then he, he wrapped it up by saying, well, he said this. He said, 
my dad made a lot of mistakes and he recounted some of those mistakes and then he said and I didn't want to make those same mistakes with my son Trevor but I have and he recounted some of those and it was tough but then he said this he said you know what when he was first born I blamed God but now I praise God he goes now what I say is God I didn't deserve a son like this I didn't deserve him you taught me so much through his life I didn't deserve it we have a problem we have a problem we need God to forgive our sins but we deserve to be judged for them so we deserve the whole world is accountable to God he is holy he is righteous he is just and he will not excuse sin and we are sinful and we have substituted ourselves for him the wages of sin is death we read in, in God's word and, and what we have earned for our sins is separation from God and God's active judgment against sin is real and God's solution is Christ suffering for us God substituting himself in our place the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ God's solution becomes our salvation. The response, when we respond by turning from our sins and turning to God in faith, in repentance, turning from our sins, turning to God in faith, and we are forgiven. We, are, we receive what we don't deserve. See, we don't deserve a father like that. He gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ when we come to faith in Christ. And it is solely because of our Heavenly Father and His only begotten Son that God does not give those who come to Him by grace through faith alone what, they, what their sins deserve because Jesus took that. He took the wrath. He took the punishment. He pays the cost and gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. So we then can see spiritually. We can have God as our, as our vision. Now, I didn't tell you the rest of the story with Bob. As Bob Hendershot was up there with his son talking, he's talking, and Trevor is standing beside him with a book. And four or five times while Bob was talking, he says, Now, Daddy, now? And, and Bob would turn and say, No, Trevor, not now. And then Bob would talk some more, and Trevor would say, Now, Daddy, now? And, and he would say, No, no, Trevor, not now. Now, Daddy, now? No, Trevor, not now. And Bob gets done with his testimony saying, I, I praise God for my son. I don't deserve a son like that. And he, and he goes to escort his son off the stage. And, and Trevor, you could tell there's something going on. And Trevor's like, no, no. And he wrenches away from his dad and go, takes center stage. And he starts saying, as only, as only Trevor can say, stand up, stand up. And he has, he's getting this whole 150 guys to stand up. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to read the Bible. He's going to read scripture. It's going to be amazing. And, uh, but he doesn't. He opens up his book and he begins to sing. He begins to sing the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And as only Trevor could sing it, we didn't know what he was singing at first. But we kind of caught on and so we all started singing. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. And it was amazing because here's, here's Bob who, who felt like, you know, why do I deserve a son like this? And then he goes, man, God, he has taught me so much. Well, well this, this boy, this boy who, this 20-year-old man who, 
who, uh, who had been such a challenge to his dad in so many ways, but such a blessing to his family and such a blessing to his church and to the community. He gave us all a lesson in worship. I'll never sing that song the same again. He sang all four stanzas, and here's the amazing part. As he's singing, his father is saying, come on, Trevor, let's go, let's go. And each time his father would come near, he'd say, no. And he was like, he's chasing him down. He would not miss a beat. Kept singing. Bob go after him. He'd go, he'd go over. By the time he was done, he was on this side, the far part of the stage, just singing his heart out. But God used that time and touched many men's hearts. I tell you, early on, Bob, Bob couldn't see what a major blessing his son was. He, he just couldn't see it. He, he couldn't see it because of his own issues, his own pity for himself. He couldn't see what a major blessing his son was or would be. But God could see that. God taught him and showed him in a very long and painful way, and he's still teaching him just how great God is and how good Trevor has been for his soul. God became his vision. He learned once again that God is crafting a story by mercy, inspiring faith and subsequently obedience about how much he needs God's mercy and how his faith is dependent and how to walk. He's learning how to walk in obedience to the heavenly command, relying upon God to, to be his vision even when he can't see what God is doing. That's what we need, to rely upon God to be our vision even when we can't see what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that only you restore sight, both physically and spiritually. We thank you, Lord, that you are merciful. We thank you, Lord, that at your discretion and solely by your sovereign choice, you reward faith. That you are the sovereign king of the universe who delights to bless his people who acknowledge him as such. And we thank you, Lord, that you see what we don't. That you are the one who corrects our vision so that we might see. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.